We are in the book of Lamentations. Going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Lamentations. Chapter 3 of Lamentations. Let's pray before we begin. Anyone need a Bible? You can raise your hand. Father, I just pray that you fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that I am able to deliver uh, the, the word, your word, this evening, Lord, that I wouldn't be a hindrance to what you want to speak this evening, Lord. Lord, this is just such a unique book, and it's here for a purpose, and it does describe a season of life that many of us go through at one point in our life. And Lord, we are so thankful that your word really has a word, many words for every season of our life, Lord. I pray that you encourage and bless this gathering this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of Lamentation, or the book of Sorrows, written by Jeremiah. As I mentioned last week, the Hebrew name to this book is just the Hebrew word for how. How did this happen? This destruction of Jerusalem how did it? So the very first verse how of, the, of the whole book, how lonely sits the city, meaning Jerusalem, a city that used to be just filled with laughter and feasts and, and joy, and now it's just been devastated because of generations of rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. God, through his prophets, forewarned of judgment, and it came. And Jeremiah himself had been warning them for 40 years about what was to come in the future. And this book is no longer Jeremiah talking about the future. It's Jeremiah talking about the present and what he sees before his eyes. Again, the book is apparently written from a cave or a grotto, that I, you can go today, you know, you never know some of those sites that you are seeing, that you see in uh, Jerusalem and Israel, whether they're the real thing or not, but there's somewhere you can go to, I, I think on Golgotha, as a matter of fact, Je, uh, Jeremiah's Grotto, where he allegedly sat and wrote this book, Lamentations. August 14th, 586 B.C. is when the temple was bur burned. And so that is each year, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, when this book uh, is read by the, uh, by the Jewish people. And <clears throat> we're in chapter 3. As I mentioned um, also in my introduction to Lamentation, this book is written in acrostics 
with Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew al- alphabet. So chapters 1, 2, 4, and actually 5 as well. I was wrong last time. 5 as well are you know, written with an acrostic A, B, C, D, or Aleph. I forget the second one. It sounds like a B, but um, it goes down the Hebrew alphabet, and that's how they memorize this. Chapter 3 that we're in tonight, 66 verses, and each three, each, the first three verses all begin with the first letter of the alphabet. The second three verses begin with the second and so forth. And again, this was done in order to facilitate memorizing this book and you know the Lord doesn't the Lord doesn't hide anything from us I tell you this book uh, is just filled with grief and lament and God wants his people to remember what the cost is and the consequences are of rebellion because he he loves us. I think of how many times I've warned my kids and it just feels like such a broken record. I feel like such a broken record after a while. But I would so much rather have them just take our advice and do the right thing than have to suffer the consequences. And so that's why God is made this book into one that is is meant to be memorized. Hey uh, hey Dave can th- this projector shining right in my eyes. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> no it's off now. Yeah. I had so much fun writing an email to Dave this week. I wrote this email to Dave. I said, Dave, have you ever heard of Pastor Rob Verdian? He was the pastor, the youth pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa for six years. I knew Dave had been there. And he emails me back, yeah, he's a great guy. Why do you ask? And I wrote back, and this is the email I had so much fun writing. Because last night he spent the night in your house, which he had, um, but Dave didn't know about it. <laughs> uh, and uh, he was—he was a fantastic guy. He's a, if some of you know Peter Cadet, he used to be Peter Cadet's pastor in Oregon. But anyway, that's an aside. Verse one of Lamentations. Verse one of of Lamentations, chapter three. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts 
out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. Now, for those of you who were with us while we went through the book of Jeremiah, there were times where, just like verse 2, he was in darkness. He, he was just stuck in darkness in a well or in a dungeon. This is probably not a reference to the past. This is a, this is a reference to just the darkness of his soul as he sees this nation that he loves so much that he has ministered to for 40 years. He has more or less been a shepherd, a pastor to these folks for 40 years. He has such a heart for the people, and he is just broken. And, and he just, verse 4, he has aged my flesh and my skin, broken my bones. Not literally, but just the pain he's having to see. He has set me, verse 6, in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. You know, when, they, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? His disciples answered, some say Elijah, others say John the Baptist. But they also said, some say Jeremiah. And that's because Jesus also was one who wept. You know, there were others like Elijah or Jonah. It's like, smoke them, Lord, type of thing, prophets. Not Jeremiah. He was a man of sorrows, just as Jesus was. Verse 10, it says, he has been to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. Now, I love being able, you know, as intense as all the, the, this, these verses are, I love being able to present chapters like this to people who are in just a unbelievably dark place in their life because of depression or or darkness or just going through some just utterly totally dark time of their life and just to to show them look it's not just you step into the shoes of Jeremiah he and and, and it's just a, wonderful if you've ever been in this place to step into uh, the shoes of this man and just read these verses. There's something, believe it or not, healing about it that, wow, I can actually, the, the words give voice to your prayer. Sometimes it's, what do we pray about? Well, just pray a psalm. Just embrace the words as your own. Verse 11, he, God, you've turned aside my ways and you've torn me to pieces. He, you've made me desolate. Just, um, there are some psalms that are wonderful for that. I remember Stephanie was in a, a dark, dark time in her life, postpartum situation after the birth of one of our kids, and she couldn't just shake it. And <clears throat> She actually was dysfunctional for a while, couldn't take care of the kids, and my mother had to come, and I... Uh, I remember just pulling out Psalm 143, which is another chapter just like this one in Jeremiah. And I just sat down with her on the couch and we read it 
Psalm 143, verse 3 says, The enemies persecuted my soul. He's crushed me to my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning for you. In you do I trust. And the fact she was able to just step into the psalm and embrace the prayer, man, like this, went out of it. After being in this thing for two weeks, people are telling me to, you know, that, Steve, you really need to send and, and get a professional involved here, which I don't discount, but I just felt in this particular situation, what she really needed was the Word of God. It's so living and active. It's, it's powerful. And uh, this chapter of Jeremiah, man, he is just really in a low place. And it's verse 12. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He's filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. So, you know, the, the, I don't want to read through this without also pointing, pointing out there is a danger when you get into these very low places that you, that you remember to the truth about God because we can soon start making up in our own mind imaginations about God and who he really is. And uh, in verse 12, it, Jeremiah says, he has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. No, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a righteous man. <laughs> but sometimes we get in these states and we, we, we think this is what the Lord is doing. I'm going through Job with my family. And, and you know, Job does the same thing. And, and bully, I'm not, pointing the finger at the guy. I mean, after what he was going through. But at one point, Job says that if the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. Wrong. You know? And, and that's why it's so important to remember the Word of God and remember uh, what the Word of God says about, uh, about truth. First John in chapter... 3 of 1 John uh, says this. It says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. So when we have condemning, crazy thoughts going on in our heart, it's good to remember, God, wait, the Word of God is greater than these thoughts. I need to trust in what the Word of God says. Not all this craziness coming into my mind. That said, there is something so rich about being able to go to the Bible and read Psalm 143. By the way, some other really good Psalms are Psalm 38, Psalm 55, Psalm 88. Yes, I know all of them. <laughs> Where, you know, it's just very intense emotional darkness that David was in. Just to read those. Um, those are easy to remember. 38, 55, I believe, 
88, and then Psalm 143, but he, none better than Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, uh, he goes on in verse 16, He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have, made, you have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said my strength and hope have perished from the Lord. This is a mature, zealous believer in the Lord saying this, that his strength and his hope have, have perished from the Lord. It does happen. These things happen. Spiritual warfare is like this. It happens to the best, you know, the best of us, the people walking uh, with the Lord, men and women walking with the Lord. It, it happens. You know, uh, this also speaks to the veracity of the Bible, right? I mean, this guy Jeremiah is a superstar in the Bible. <laughs> What does he? What does it say? Was is it Ezekiel where, where God says, even if Daniel and Jeremiah were sitting before me, and Samuel, I think, I I, I believe Jeremiah is one of the one mentions. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't respond to your prayers. I mean, he is a superstar in the Bible, and yet you would, if this was a book written by man, they're not going to include this. Are you kidding me? They're not going to include this guy just being so raw and honest. And we were talking this morning about religious hypocrisy, pretending in the church that you never experience any of this stuff. That's just a hyper spirituality that is just not true of, of God's most faithful servants. Verse 19, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. And then in verse 21, it, there's a great shift. Some of the most oft-quoted verses in the Bible. This I recall to my mind. And you have to do this, guys, gals. When you get in this state like this, you, you got to have literal discipline to do what Jeremiah is doing right here. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hoped that through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of the best things to do when we're feeling the affliction of life and just things are really, really tough around us is just to step back and remember, yeah, things are bad, but I'm not getting near what I deserve. We deserve so much worse than any affliction we could get on this earth. And he says, then that's what he's saying here in verse 22. He says, this I verse 21 says, this I recall to my mind, it's only because of God's mercy that I'm not consumed 
that we're not consumed because of our sin. But then it says, because his compassions fail not. And they are new every morning. So what's the principle there? Here's an important principle of when you get into these really, really hard spots. Live one day at a time. One day at a time. Sufficient is the day, Jesus says. It has troubles of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. And just, just if, if you try to look even one day forward, it's just too much. That is a season of life that every believer is going to go through if they live any length of time. Satan would love to get you to commit suicide at midnight because he knows God's mercies are, are going to be new in the morning. And then, you know, it's true. I remember about a year and a half after the church started, and I've shared this testimony with um, before, but I just, um, I had been on so much pain medication, fentanyl and methadone and at the same time, maxed out on fentanyl, and I, I uh, had really bad neck issues, and the, the there was just a man who shouldn't have been doing it. He was a he was a doctor, and he was just upping and upping and upping and upping my increasing increasing my prescription, and um, he actually. From one day, I was going into his office. They called and said he can't come in. He got kidney, I mean, he got, he got uh, pancreatic cancer and died soon after. So I couldn't go to him anymore. And I went to a new doctor, and the guy was alarmed. He goes, you just need to live with, learn to live with pain. It's one of the best, best advice I had ever gotten. What happened was I just, a couple days after that, my, my heart, because of all the medications, just tripped and it went into like an arrhythmia type of deal, uh, irregularity. And uh, I decided, okay, that's it. And I pretty much went cold turkey and got, got off in three days all this medication, which was not a good idea. I should have taken about a month to get off of it. But I went through just the most intense withdrawals. My body was just in convulsions. And the pain in my neck it was like a, a ball of hot fire in my neck. <clears throat> and to me, I was, everything was lost. Uh, Scott was, uh, took over the pulpit. I went on disability at work. I was just thinking, I can't be a father. I can't be a husband. And it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was just like it, Right, right like here. I was here. Uh, he has set me in dark places like the dead. I mean, that's, that's how I, I felt. And it was just so wonderful uh, one morning just waking up and, and the Lord just put in my heart, look at Joshua. He got up and he fought. He just went into the to the battle, and he fought, and he fought, and he fought until he won. And it, it was just such the mercy of God. And I just remember starting in Isaiah about chapter 40 or something like that and working my way to the end and just 
the mercies of the Lord that morning. The mercies of the Lord. They are new every morning. And just concentrating, focusing on the goodness of the Lord. Verse 21, again, that discipline. Then I recall to my mind, it's... We just somehow have to persevere with a mustard seed of faith and focus on the faithfulness and compassions of the Lord. And that's what he continues to do. Verse 24, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. So everything in our life may be taken away, our finances, our health, our innocence, our loved ones, God can't be taken away. That's why he's called my portion. This is a name of the Lord. The Lord, my portion. And then in verse 25, 26, 27, just focusing in on the goodness of the Lord. Now, uh, in the Hebrew, unfortunately, this is lost in the translation, each of each verse here begins with the same word, good. Just focusing on the goodness of the Lord. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. But actually, in actuality, in Hebrew, it starts with good. Good is the Lord. Verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, just focusing on the goodness of the Lord. And, and just, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul says sometimes he has to beat his body into submission, just literally beating your body to the point where you just focus on the goodness of the Lord in spite of all the distractions when you are in a dark place in your life meditating on the goodness of the Lord. We sang a song this morning about waiting on God. Did we also sing a song this evening on waiting on God? I can't remember about waiting on God. <laughs> but um, Wait on the Lord, oh my soul. Wait on the Lord. That's what we sang this morning. The Lord is good to those who wait on him. Verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I advertise the book all the time. Advertise, I don't know if that's the right word, but... Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. It's a 30-day devotional. Each, each day there's a verse in the Bible about waiting on the Lord. And he has two days, for day 24 and day 25. On, on these two verses. And day 24 it says, waiting on the Lord, that's the way to know his goodness, to come to know his goodness. And here is how, and I'm quoting Andrew Murray here, and here is now the true way of entering into and rejoicing in this goodness of God, to wait upon him. The Lord is good. 
Even his children often do not know it, for they do not wait in quietness for him to reveal it. But to those who persevere in waiting, whose souls do wait, it will come true. One might think that it is just those who have to wait who might doubt it. But this is only when they do not wait but grow impatient. The truly waiting ones will say of the Lord, He is good unto them that wait for Him. If you want to fully know the goodness of God, give yourself more than ever to a life of waiting on Him. Now you say, well, what is waiting on the Lord? What does that mean? Unfortunately, the book this particular book cover to waiting on God that we have in our bookstore, and I shake my head every time. It has a bunch of people waiting in a line. I was like, who did this? Like, who in the world did this book cover? <laughs> because the, the book you, it has nothing to do with, with that. Actually, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're very active. You're serving in church. You're serving your family. Here's a working definition that I came up with. Waiting is an attitude of worship before the Lord which says, in your time, Lord, you will give me all I need, all that I ask for, and more I can imagine. In your time, your perfect time. That's what waiting on the Lord is. And there is, there's, a, there's it, it's waiting on the Lord. There's, there's a worship that goes on there. Verse, uh, verse, um, 26 says, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so day 25, he, Andrew Murray deals with that. He says this, scripture abundantly testifies how the very thought of God and his majesty and holiness should silence us. When it is seen that waiting on God is itself an unspeakable blessedness, one of the highest forms of fellowship with the Holy One, the adoration of Him in His, in his glory will of necessity humble the soul into a holy stillness. Let everyone who wants to learn the art of waiting on God remember this lesson. Take heed and be quiet. He quotes Isaiah 7-4 there. Do let us wait quietly. In daily life, let there be in the soul that is waiting for the great God to do his wondrous work, a quiet reverence, an abiding watching against too deep engrossment with the world. Then the whole character will become to bear this beautiful stamp, quietly waiting for the salvation of the law of the of God. And so waiting on God. Verse 27 says, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his, in his youth and supremely, he's talking there about developing a devotion time, a reverence for the Lord. Of, of, of spending quiet times for the Lord. I am just so blessed with all my kids, but to see them as they as they get into their you know teenage years, I mean Adlay is addicted to her devotion time. I mean she comes in to upset sometimes. Get out of my way! I'm going to my room to read the Bible. I mean, is there anything more that a dad would want to hear than that? I mean, you, 
I'm great. I'll get out of your way. That's how she is. It is good for a man to bear this yoke in, in, in his youth. And I believe that is the yoke referred to there is the yoke that Jesus talks about in, in Matthew um, 11, 38, where, uh, 27 through, uh, uh, 28 and 29, where he says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Taking my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's, I'm reading this wonderful, wonderful devotion now by a guy named John McDuff, and he, he, uh, he's one of these guys from the 1800s. His language is a little flowery. Once you get through that, he just has wonderful insight. And he just points out that take my yoke upon you, that means working for the Lord. Like you want rest in the Lord? Work with Jesus. So oftentimes we read this verse and we think, he says, I will find rest for your souls. We, we were like just doing nothing, you know. And certainly, as we just read, that's part, of, that's part of finding God's rest. But a yoke is with Jesus is, is also serving with him. It's having a devotion time with him and then getting up and going out and doing his work. And, you know, I started walking with with the Lord when I was 24, but I'm jealous of these guys who start walking with the Lord when they're 11 or 13. And and don't be deceived. Don't say, oh, they're just an 11-year-old. They can't be real. Wrong. Sometimes it is not real. Other times it is perfectly real. And... uh, and that's, what, and, and that's what Jeremiah is saying here. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, the yoke of the Lord, the Lord Jesus taking on the yoke, which is so much less burdensome, which is so much easier. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. That's pretty amazing, huh? That lifestyle of forgiveness. Let him start. Start when you're young. Verse 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. God can't help but act according to his nature. And in his nature, there is a multitude of mercy. Verse 33, for he does not afflict willingly, meaning he doesn't enjoy to joy, enjoy affliction, nor grieve the heart of men. It's not something that he likes to do, to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside justice, do a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause. The Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? In other words, he's speaking here to the faithfulness and the power of the Lord. If, if the Lord is not behind what you're doing, 
or he's not going to, you know, if or he's not going to allow it, it's not going to happen. And and he's just he's going here from meditating on the goodness of the Lord to the almightiness, the all-powerfulness of the Lord. Verse 37, who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? God's in control. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain a man for the punishment of his sins? But let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Oh, how often I'm in counseling where someone is just complaining to no end about everything and everyone around them. But it's all because of their sin. And Jeremiah says in verse 40, look, search out and examine your way and just turn back to the Lord. That's simple obedience. That's what it's all about. That's what it is all about. Shut your mouth. Stop complaining. Take responsibility for your sin and your actions. You know, we, we, we shouldn't be necessarily morbid about it, but let us search out and examine our ways. The Bible does say, let a man examine himself. And Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. There is a time when, when you are just, you know, after a season, when you're in just a mess of a situation, to say, wait, did I get myself here? Am I in this mess because of my own poor choices? And just to examine our ways, verse 41, let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, but you have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not... Uh, pass through. You have made us an offscouring and refuse in the in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouth against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us. Desolation and destruction. And my eyes overflow with water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Praying just with tears. Verse forty nine. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption. Great examples of intercession. Here's one of them, just weeping for his people. He's encouraging them to turn back to the Lord, but reflecting on the, the just the dark cloud that is over Jerusalem. Ezekiel, Ezra rather, chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, all examples of praying just with great suffering and tears and here you see it with Jeremiah my eyes flow and do not cease without interruption and I tell you that's a gift
Eric Burks and I are reading through this book by Charles Finney, the lectures on the revivals of a religion. He was a figurehead in many of the revivals in the middle of the 19th century, and he was just he's just giving all these examples of, of these people who just, they couldn't stop just agonizing and weeping and wailing for, in their prayer for just the sins of the people around them. And, and, and revival followed. Real revival followed. And this is, this is uh, an example here. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies, verse 52, without cause, hunted me down like a bird. Now, in this particular case, yeah, well, in this particular case, he's not talking about the present. He's talking about the past. He says, verse 53, they silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. And he's referring to the time when they lowered him into a well. A well which no longer had water, but it did have muck, mire at the bottom of it. And Jeremiah, they just stuck him in it. And the mud went all the way up to his neck. At least that's what Josephus says. That part is tradition. But it, what was not, what is a fact is that it was muck. They, 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 it was in the muck apparently for weeks. And he's recalling that here. My enemies hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit. Verse, 50, 50, uh, verse 54 says, The waters flowed over my head. I said I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing from my cry for help, you drew near on the day I called you and said, do not fear. Hey, that's what we were talking about this morning. Fear not, do not fear. This is one of the 65 times mentioned in the Bible. Fear not, big subject in the Bible. Why? Because in our DNA, as a result of the fall, there's fear there. There's fear of man there's a desire, a longing for the praise of man. But oh, when the Lord just speaks in places right in our heart, that word, do not fear. And he gives us courage, a courage that can't be explained. And just wonderful how in the midst of all the rebellion, he tasted the faithfulness of the Lord. And that's why he's able to, to, say, to say, as he did in verse 23, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. By the way, that's where the hymn comes from, that verse. Great is your faithfulness. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wrong. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies and their whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Now, oddly, this does appear to him to be talking about the past when he was thrown in the pit 
most of Lamentations is he's just reflecting on what he's seeing in the presence. Verse 60, uh, right, in the present, but um, here he's referring back to this one incident. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart, your curse be upon them. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. And that is indeed what happened. Vengeance is the Lord's. And again, uh, we've been repeating this over and over. God forbid that we take vengeance because we'll just make a mess of it. But um, he, he, he trusted in the word of the Lord and, and he experienced the, the judgment of the Lord. But it's a strange thing. He, he, he pleaded with the Lord to repay the people for what, they did to him, and after it happened, his eyes flowed with tears when he saw the destruction. Again, verse 51, my eyes bring suffering to my soul because of the daughters of my city. Lamentations. Truly a remarkable book. So that is the 66 verses of, Jer- of, of Lamentations chapter Three, and so I'm going to actually pick it up the next time I'm in it here in Lamentations four, four and five. We'll finish that off. And just we can we can pause, put pause, press the pause button right there, and uh, 